wrong with this bottle. I don't think you know how to open them. Apparently. <laughs> Um, the glass is broken. Oh no. Shut the front right, door. Alright, be careful. Oh, oh wow. that works. <laughs> That's a good start to this. This is like drinking water. This wine. is how badly we need wine right now. Hi guys. Um, welcome to this week's episode of Sloshed Sisterhood. This is a very special episode. We're recording on International Women's Day. So a very happy belated at this point for you guys, International Women's Day to you all. Um, I hope you celebrated uh, by getting paid um, the same amount that men get paid <laughs> um, and by just dragging Mike Pence on Twitter. So I hope both those things happen for you today. If not one, then at least the other. So uh, this week, you guys have Lauren and the two Katies, um, and Amory and Becca, and our storyteller this week is Tina. She is going to talk to us about Riot Girl, which I'm super excited about because I think I listened to Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill 900 times approximately my senior year of high school. So um, we're super excited to talk about history of Riot Girl, and with that, we're going to dive right in. So Tina, take it away. Hi. So I feel I feel like I have a little bit of imposter syndrome, um, only because I feel like I mean not I feel like I really sort of missed Riot Girl when it was starting. So I kind of got into it more when um, after I graduated from college and moved to. The neighborhood of D.C. where um, a lot of folks who were involved lived called Mount Pleasant. Um, but when it started, I was completely oblivious. In 1992, I was a sophomore at college. I knew about the punk scene. I had just gone to see Fugazi for the first time that March um, at a church, which um, I didn't know which what it was at the time, but it was um, St. Stephen's. It was a benefit for the free clinic. And it was also really interesting because everybody that I went with just felt like the crowd was really aggressive. And then it turned out, like, later when I would talk about that show, everyone that I knew was like, oh, I was there. It was awesome. So it was kind of funny to think that all these aggressive people ended up being my friends. And maybe it wasn't as aggressive as I thought, but it was kind of, I always thought that was kind of funny. And so I knew that there was something that was happening. I knew that, like, punk was... Like, I was definitely kind of gravitating towards that world. In D.C., there were a lot of bands. We'd go to the old 930 Club. There wasn't a black cat yet. There were shows in people's houses, like, hardcore shows and, like, group houses. Um, I remember going to see um, a band at AU called Christ on Crack <laughs> in the basement of somebody's house. Um, and it, this whole world was really exciting to me. And it was definitely, like, it didn't occur to me that it was male-dominated because I would attend a lot of these events with um, both men and women, and it wasn't, I didn't necessarily think that there was anything weird about that because that was kind of how, I was, you know, that's how people are socialized or were socialized. Like, I had a radio show, and most of the people that I knew that did that were, like, it was mostly guys. I had a radio show with a friend. We had a radio show like every Friday, but it was it wasn't 
it didn't occur to me that it was a male-dominated thing until Bikini Kill happened, and and this is how much of an imposter I am because there was a show. It was over the summer, and I was super. I was like the first summer that I didn't live at home. I was dating this dude who like flunked out of school and awesome. had gone back to Detroit. And mm. I was like, the flunky boy. And yeah. I had I lived in an apartment where I was subletting it with an, another my my regular roommate. You're like living a punk rock song. I was I'm literally like yeah. at the moment. This is like somebody. I can't believe that I haven't written a song about this. I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's really sad and pathetic. But we lived in an, a, like an off-campus apartment, um, and the person somebody who lived there like ran up all the other bills. So like we didn't have cable and we didn't have a phone and there was no cell phone so like I would go and like make phone calls at the payphone in the lobby of the apartment building it was like really pathetic and so if I wanted to hang out with people the summer that Riot Girl was happening like I would have to either find them all where they were ask them where they were going to be or tell them like come get me if something happens right so like I think that should be everyone's motto. Come get me. Get me. If something happens. Come get me if something happens. Anything. So, anything interesting. Just come, come find me. Find me. Figure out where I am. Exactly. So it was a Saturday in the middle of summer, and Fugazi was playing. <clears throat> like, there's a stage at the Washington Monument that no one uses anymore, but it's there. There's a stage. Oh, there's wait. a stage at the Washington Monument. It's called... The Sylvian Theater. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They and do like Shakespeare um, stuff And actually, there, Lauren, over there, there's, I think, Dance of Days is over there. Um, I'll show you a picture of this show that I missed because I was feeling pathetic and sad and sorry for myself. And what happened, my friends, they came and got me. It's right there. It's at the top next to Rock Till You Drop. Oh, we're finding. Yes. We're finding. Um, so, this book, Dance of Days by... Um, Mark Anderson, who was the head of Positive Force, and Mark Jenkins, who is a music critic for the City Paper and the Washington Post. Um, it looks like there's crap on the front of this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the it's been love. This is the, the show. This is the show That's that I didn't go to so. because I was feeling sorry for myself. But Bikini Kill play also played this show. I think I don't know. Now I feel like I might even be incorrect. But I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Bikini, I'm pretty sure Bikini Kill played. Check. We'll fact yeah. check it later. We'll fact check it later. So librarians will fact check. So so this is all to say that like my and maybe there's something that is actually truly punk about this story that. I was so punk that I missed maybe the punkest moment <laughs> of my life up until that point. You were operating up on... until twenty. Like I was operating on what? You're operating on punk time. Yes. Yeah. That was exactly. I was operating yeah. on punk time. So, but and the other thing um, that I have, so I also kind of thought about is how like a lot of the girls who were so like Riot Girl and Riot Girl happened was like sort of founded, or one of the places it was founded was at the Positive Force House. So Mark Anderson, who wrote that book, um, was one of the main people of Positive Force. I, if you said, I don't know if he, how comfortable he would feel by saying that he ran it, but like, it was run, it's a collective, right? Mm -hmm. and so he was one of the major people who was part of Positive Force. And they had a house in Arlington, which hasn't been around for, I would say, like 15, 20 years. It got torn down. A while ago, but it was a group house, it was a collective, and people would live there, and they would have meetings, and um, Positive Force also still 
holds benefits. So they would do things like um, benefits for things like books for prisoners, and Fugazi would always would often play positive force shows and bands would play and they would like benefit food banks or whatever. So there was this like interaction between punk and like doing positive things for the community, so positive force. I would also like to point out that Arlington, as broy as it is now, used to be a lot more punk. And in fact, my old high school, alma mater, H.B. Woodlawn. Yes, H.B. Woodlawn! Was like a really fucking epic... I went to a punk show at H.B. Woodlawn. Yeah, and like there's tons of posters of like... Yes! Minor Threat and Fugazi playing yep. at H.B. Woodlawn. And there's like tapes on the internet. Somebody buy me one of like... <laughs> These bands at AP Woodlawn, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ian MacKay grew up in Arlington. So he actually grew up in D.C. and he went to Wilson. However, oh. the the Discord, Discord House, house is, is in Arlington. Is in Arlington. Yeah, yeah, that's where Discord I was. House is on like Washington Boulevard. Okay. Um, and and he talks he he talks about like when they were um, like when Discord House kind of like when they all moved there because they were leaving home and they needed to have. They wanted to play some place. They wanted a place to play, and they wanted a place that was like their. Um, that's my beer. Yes, is that that's yes, Bikini Kill? Yeah, that's the show that I missed. I've only watched on YouTube. Um, but then it's like you were there. So Thank it is YouTube. It's exactly like I was there. But so <laughs> so the first Riot Girl, and this is all kind of documented in other um, other places. But like the right, there was a meeting at Positive Force House, and they kind of. Um, kind of, I don't want to say that they were rules, but they, like, made a list of, like, what is Riot Girl, And, um, and it's really, like, it's super empowering. But at the time, I was, like, 20 years old and, like, completely oblivious to everything that was going on. Um, and also, the, the girl, they kind of scared me a little bit because there was a lot of, um, from what I could tell, like, a lot of, very sort of like there were, there were definitely people who were in touch with their sexuality which I was like still scared of <laughs> right? what, you, what were the rules what you're saying um like not necessarily rules but like it like sort of the um it's a long well week. like they had issues that they sort of directly addressed so um Rape, domestic abuse, sexuality, racism, the patriarchy, female empowerment. Um, they called it third wave feminism. Third wave, yeah. So, like, like on campus, a lot of the, like, a lot of the girls who were kind of either in Riot Girl or who tangentially related to it, um, that was the first time I had ever experienced, like, a take back the night rally. And it was kind of, and I don't know if, I don't know... I don't remember the entire history of it, but I remembered that being a thing, and, um, like, the, um, like, there was, like, a march throughout campus that was, like, making a safe space for women to not get, you know, attacked or whatever. What a yeah. noble thought. <laughs> oh, one of my questions for you, if mm -hmm. I can yeah. ask here, is, um, I know that zines were, like, a really important part of that, and, like, Bikini Kill named their band after their zine. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of zines going around about that subject. Do you remember? And is it one that, like, impacted you personally at the time? I, yes. And so, 
maybe not actually at the time, but there's a zine. Um, Sorry, what's a zine? Okay, so <laughs> so a zine, a zine is um, like a self-published, like photocopied, and sometimes it has one author. Sometimes maybe there's like a couple people who collaborate, but it's basically like your thoughts, and you photocopy it and hand it out to people. It's like a DIY magazine. Yeah. yeah okay. I would like to know that there is a zine fest every year at St. Mm-hmm. Stephen's Church. The yes. This concert was yeah. that Tina went to. That is awesome, and they have, like, all sorts of zines, and I bought a zine that was all about the adventures of a glow-in-the-dark pickle, which Amazing. Would, I would highly recommend. <laughs> they still yeah. have shows, It's kind too. of like... Yeah. Before, we went to a show that are not recent. Or before blogs. Before... It was yeah, blogs right. before there was really before the internet. Blogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you would yeah. just photocop... You would write down all of your thoughts, and sometimes it would be art, sometimes it would be poetry, sometimes it would be a weird comic, sometimes it would be essays. Mm-hmm. And, and shout-out yeah. to University of Maryland... And John Davis, who is a librarian there, but he was also the drummer in Q&U, and um, I can't remember the other band that he was, that was like his band, that he wasn't the drummer in. I'm sorry, John, if you're listening. Um, um, has curated a collection of zines at the University of Maryland Ooh, library yeah. that people can go Plug and for look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, a zine that I think truly impacted me um, so, like, after I sort of, after I graduated from college, um, and I was still clueless, um, I worked at a, a an alternative weekly newspaper in town. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so, um, the, I, I, like, I, I kind of just answered an ad, but I didn't realize, like, how much that it was kind of the epicenter of everything that I, like, wanted in my whole world. And there are people who are actors, and there are people who are artists, and there are a lot of people who are in bands. And one of the people who worked there, or two of the people who worked there, did a zine called Chick Factor. And they actually have a new issue. They haven't done a new issue in a while. They have issue eight. I think it's issue eighteen coming out really soon. Um, and there's a Insta, a Chick Factor Instagram. Um, and the two women who ran that, one of them who ended up being my roommate, Pam. Hey Pam, shout out to Pam. Shout out to Pam. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of like an elevated thing because most of the time, like zines were photocopied. Like I, I started collecting them. Like my friends did them, or sometimes they would interview people. Like, they would interview bands from around the way or whatever. But theirs was, like, a really awesome production. That zine was really influential because it was definitely, like, men who were interviewed, but it was definitely, like, a focus on women. So, like, um, at that time, there was a the pop convention that was happening in Seattle and a lot of, like, the Sleater-Kinney stuff was just starting. Right, and I was they were ask you, mm-hmm. like... A lot of the Riot Girl um, legend is set in Washington State. Yes. So yeah. did you, you know, and and some of it started in D.C. Did you feel that there was like a disconnect, or that it was all sort of one movement? Well, so I think that it was like, I think it was one movement, but I think part of what kind of, um, and I don't want to say brought it down because there's def- there's still Riot Girl. Like, and that, I went to a convention, a conference, not a convention, a conference a couple of years ago, and somebody did a presentation on, like, Riot Girl in, like, 
LA suburbs that had, like a chapter that had just started. But I think one of the things that was interesting is there were and also this is pre-internet, right? Yeah. So like how everyone found out about that about things like I think it start there was like well there was one summer that because Kathleen Hanna was from Bethesda and the summer that that happened was they were all here over the summer so I think there was some like migration and it happened that that was the summer and then maybe they went back to Seattle and there were or not they were in Olympia in Olympia yeah. 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 yeah um and like how it it kind of just spread kind of by by word of mouth and there were different like there was a Chicago chapter when you say chapter, so was there, like, official organizers of it? So, like, it's, kind of a, it's kind of interesting, because no, but also yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was, like, like, like the one, so, like, when I say rules, like, no one in Riot Girl was allowed to talk to the press. And um, they would have meetings and conventions, um... And I think there were a couple that were successful, but then there were a couple that maybe weren't as successful. But one of the things that was controversial is that at once, once kind of like more mainstream music um, media kind of got a hold of it, right? Because Bikini Kill started to get kind of popular, um, and Kathleen Hanna would talk about Riot Girl, and so music journalists would be like, what is that? And they would want to write about it. And the rule was like, you know, no one is to talk to the press about this. Like, this is our thing, and they're just going to ruin it because they're dudes. Um, and they're going to, like... Dudes not, ruin a lot of yeah, things. And they're going to, yeah. like, they're not going to understand it, and so forget it. Um, one, there was one person, and this is actually, a lot of this is in Girls to the Front, which is a really good history about Riot Girl. Um... But um, one person kind of talked, and there's a spin article that mm -hmm. is probably findable, um, who talked to a journalist at Spin, and that caused a ruckus. And it was kind of like, now this doesn't really necessarily belong to us anymore. It's this bigger thing. And I think, like, over time, it kind of... Um, it grew into other things, right? Or like bikini still, bikini kill was still um, popular. There's also um, Allison Wolf, who is from DC, um, and she's in. Um, she was in a band um, called Bratmobile with Aaron Smith, and they were local to DC, and they were really young. Um, but bikini, they, they kind of like were, like, Bikini Kill also, like, and Bratton Wheel would play shows together. Um, mm -hmm. And Allison is pretty well-spoken about a lot of this stuff, and she was in other bands. She was in a band called Cold Cold Hearts. Um, and she was actually somebody that, like, I didn't know at the time, but because we lived in the same neighborhood and we knew a lot of the same people, and, like, I was, I definitely did not feel like I was, a part of that, because again, I, they were very, like, I was not, I was afraid of a lot of their, just of how they were, like, a lot of, a lot of Riot girl folks, like, worked at the strip clubs, and that was a thing of, like, feminism and taking back this, 
like um, taking taking back that space for women. Yeah. Also, can we make a note of like the fact that for people that are not familiar with Riot Girl, like Riot Girl is like not about um, kind of becoming masculine to fit in as a woman. Yes. It's like yeah. fully about embracing your femininity, which is <clears throat> I think something really, really notable about the movement that kind of makes it unique because in a lot of things, even now it's like in a workplace, a woman has to wear a suit and kind of conform to like masculine roles. But like, you know, Kathleen Hanna was talking in like a valley girl voice and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, people were wearing dresses on stage and like, it was really, really feminine. Yeah. And that idea of like being feminine and taking back spaces that were, you know, like, or inserting themselves into these places. And that was daunting and scary to think that, am I supposed to be doing that? Like, um, is that a thing that I need to, like, know about? And so I, at the time, I was kind of, like, intrigued, but also frightened, which I guess is how, like, most good things that you find out about are, right? Yeah. You're like, you want to know more, but then you get, like, it's a little... Scary. Yeah. Well, I think that, like, what's so interesting to me about, like, Riot Girl and the when it came about and how it came about is, like, it has so many parallels to where we are in, like, feminist, mm-hmm. like, the feminist movement today. Like, we talk about being, like, a woman and, like, femme and, like, having emotions as, like, not a bad thing. Right. But in the 90s, that was very much not the way you viewed feminism. Yeah. Like, shoulder pads and, like, you know, like, and being, like, and going to work and, like, not asking for maternity leave or equal right. pay or, or like um, and like just like fitting in girl. yeah like that exactly of like like the 80s like businesswoman i don't know if anybody knows kate beaton's comics but she does like harka vagrant yeah. and her she's a character called 80s businesswoman which wears like giant shoulder pads and has like a big bouffant like hairdo mm-hmm. that's like very short and like and it's like very like powerful like man and like very like masculine energy to it and it's like a they're just really funny comics there's one where she's having sex with the man and she's like this sex isn't good and i miss the gym so i need to work out she's just like bike pedaling like over him while he's inside her which is just fucking hilarious but like as a thought process of like a thing happening in life but like then also like that was like this whole like 80s and 90s vision of feminism which is like kind of the beginnings of riot girl and then like the where we are today is like Riot Girl was ahead of its time yeah. almost. We're like today we're like no like fuck you like toxic masculinity is ruining our country. Yeah, and that's and that's something that I think about too is like they were so on it with like like now it's like every day toxic masculinity right every single day I it's like oh why is blah 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 toxic masculinity that's right. the answer to like basically everything that's wrong. But they were like they really did understand that and and. And started talking about it. And, like, one one of the things from that show, um, there's a song, a Bikini Kill song, Suck My Left One. And I also, I show that sometimes when I go talk to, um, like, some of the classes that are doing, like, DC punk or music um, or whatever, like, relate punk-related stuff. And I'll show that and be like, the thing that she's talking about is really important here because she's taught, like, she's introing the song about talking about how she was, like, harassed at a bus stop, right? And that's a thing that, like, people experience, but she's turned it into a song and is, like, you know, taking back that space. And it, and thinking in terms of, like, 
it didn't like it I personally didn't feel comfortable because it was like holy crap I'm like I live in the world like no one told yeah. me <laughs> like what and so like being able to like when I lived in the neighborhood where a lot of folks lived and like I would see Allison on the street all the time and like we would just talk like we would just talk on the corner like you know how are you doing what are you doing and like we're seeing her at shows um and then starting to sort of like understand and like who who folks were and like what they were you know like they instead of just being these figures that I would be like oh they're you know that's Kathleen Hanna or that's Alison Wolf or whatever it's like oh you're this person that lives in my neighborhood and I like talk to you and you're we're talking about these things together and it's really a community and you know under learning more about that from that level to me was <clears throat> was where I was kind of like oh now I understand like that is messed up yeah and so. you know it's interesting like you're saying all this and you're saying how riot girl was like kind of before it's time but the interesting thing is like punk is about being individual and expressing yourself right. and there's so much room for like anger and letting out like saying what you really think like fucking yelling it on stage that's what's so great about it <clears throat> and so in some way it's just like it's kind of this really universal thing and it there's no reason why it shouldn't attract more women yeah well I want to say too that the riot girl the, like movement they really tried to make it um as safe for women as possible at shows um because you know women are getting knocked down women are getting groped you know there's lots of language going around um and they really were the first to kind of be like hey women like this stuff too even though we're maybe smaller than you you know and we want to be here we want to be in the point yeah. of view Don't there was also like the entire like women to the front movement because mm -hmm. i was just sharing in the car on the way here that like i went to a show on monday like a hardcore show on monday and it was just like the 10 to 20 percent uh, of people that were there were women were just inevitably in the back and i even felt like I too should go there because the guy in front of me was, and they're always taller than you. Yes. Always. Well, yeah, always and like taller, larger, and yeah. Like, yeah. My if he's you. pushing me around, I'm going to you know closest to the wall as I can. Yeah, my first concert I ever went to on my own with like two other friends was Hello Goodbye, which is admittedly not a very, like... Wow. I've went to a Hello show. Goodbye concert. They're great. They're very, like... I would not <laughs> categorize them as, like, wow. moshy. But I, like, went down to the mosh pit because I had, like, tickets ahead of the season. I was like, fuck this. This is, like, fucking boring. I'm just, like, watching a concert. But, like, it's not how I participate. So I, like, went down to the mosh pit, and I was, like, 15 at the time. And I had, like, these giant glasses, much like I do now, but they were not in style. And I was, and I, I met like a group of guys and they were like nice to me and they were friends with me. But later I found out they were fucking with me because the minute that the show started up again, like it was like at that break in between acts, like they shoved me to the front and like made me like try and like push me to the front, like jostled me around like aggressively, like not just like, oh my God, shoot, sorry. Yeah. Like, like there's a crowd here. Like it was like they aggressively yeah. were jostling me. And they were just fucking with me because I was, like, a woman at a concert yeah. who dared to go alone. And then I broke my glasses 
and I had to ride the Long Island Railroad back to my parents' house Hello. with my sunglasses on because they were prescription. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's just my punk moment where I like looked like very hungover at like 10 p.m. Yep. Um, at, 15. at 15 on the Long Island Railroad. Um, and I also ran into my neighbor who then peed in the corner of the <laughs> subway car. That so, is actually funny. Yeah, that's, it was a pretty <laughs> punk moment. I felt cool. That you peed? And you won't tell anybody that I might be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, neighbor. <laughs> sorry, neighbor. Well, one, of the things, one of the things, too, that I think, and me, I don't, I, my, my, like, attendance to punk shows is, like, mostly based in, like, the D.C. area, right? And, like, a lot of D.C. bands kind of were, like, there was moshing, but maybe there wasn't, like, like, body surfing or whatever, or a lot of that and like Fugazi kind of banned it from their shows because of the aggressiveness and like they will they would stop playing because of it and I wonder if it's partially because like Riot Girl had such a presence here that this was the this was their way of sort of being like I mean and I think that they were kind of confronted about it right but this was their way of sort of being like this is a space Everybody is here. You're not going to make other people feel uncomfortable, and you can. Everyone can be at a show. I always wonder, Riot Girl and like the whole straight edge movement, both were kind of reactions to like a lot of pro- like problems within punk. Like straight edge was a reaction to addiction. Riot Girl was right. to like toxic masculinity. And I'm wondering, like, I don't know anything about this, so, like, was there any, like, crossover? Like, how did you experience those two, like... Because they were roughly in the same time period in the early 90s, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, Riot Girl is... Yeah, like, Riot Girl is from Olympia more, but moved to D.C., and then Straight Edge Movement is attributed to being, like, from yeah, D.C. And, yeah, and it's kind of, It's interesting. There is... There, there's definitely a crossover... Um, and some people may have been a little more edgy about it than others. And it's also interesting, like, I've heard Ian talk about straight edge as sort of just being like, it was a reaction because he liked this girl and she liked some drunk dude. And he was like, that's ridiculous. You look like a fool. And like other people that he knew, I'm not going to do that. Right. It was just his reaction. Mm -hmm. And then his reaction, his reaction to like, his community ends up becoming this giant social movement. And there were some, like, the way that I sort of experienced the overlap was also that, like, everyone supported each other. So you could have been in Riot Girl but not be straight edge, right? Or you could be straight edge and a dude, right? But everybody was a community together. So even if there were some, like behind-the-scenes tension or whatever, it was really, like, everybody was supportive. I think we'd be remiss not to talk about how there was some criticism of Riot Girl not being as inclusive as it could yes. have been. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I think Courtney Love and Hole were mm-hmm. um, very against being called Riot Girl because they felt that it wasn't inclusive enough and it was, like, you know, middle-class white exactly girls. Um, so I think that if you could speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I totally, like, I mean, it, 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 wasn't, inclu- it wasn't inclusive in a lot of ways, right? 
Like, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm talking about my experience and feeling like it wasn't inclusive, but it was definitely like, like racially, it was mostly, it was mostly white middle class, white women who grew up middle class, who, um, who were like, you know, experience, like they were experienced, experiencing being on their own for the first time, I think is probably a good, fair way of saying sure. it. Um, and I mean, it's tricky and it's, it's difficult because I think like if what your world is, is that world, then, and your reaction to it is going to be your personal reaction to it, but then that might not be a time in a person's life or especially at that time in the nineties where you are aware of like how am I I'm trying to say like, this. Like like the way the way that things are now, yeah. Girls at that age are probably aware of trans people. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. gender you know, gender binary and yeah. and all the different things, but in nineteen ninety two not so that's much. not so much yeah, you know, as open and as talked about as it is today. Yeah, and I um, think like I think like the way the way that they were approaching it is the way they knew how to approach it, and maybe um like def- uh, like I think now if you look at it and like you talk to the women who are involved, like they're uh, they're much more um there's much more of a diversity in what they're doing now than um. And I'm talking about, like, the kind of the founding sisters Mm -hmm. of Riot Girl. There's much more diversity in what they're doing now than there was at the time because that is how everything kind of evolved. Um, Well, there's much more of an emphasis on intersectionalism now than there was in any of those movements. And that's that's all stuff, too, like, uh, that was, like, and if you think about, like, I'll, like, I always, I'm going back to sort of the academics, right? So I'm getting into my, like, academic mode for a second. But, like, a lot of women's studies departments were founded in the 90s, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of, like, if you were a student at the time and you were a riot girl and you were, like, in women's studies classes, those were, like, sort of at the very beginnings of that as a as, like, a thing to study when you're in school or as a movement. And so they may not have had a lot of access to stuff, right, or understanding, or even just in their community, or understanding, like, how do we make this a diverse... How do we make this a diverse community, right? There was just not an understanding of how to do that. So I think now, when I think about, like, the the Southern California Riot Girl chapter that I... The person who had, she had done, like, an ethnography on them. And the person who did it was Hispanic, and it was a much more diverse group of people that um, it's really good to see that. And I also think that, like, in that sort of element of, like, nobody's going to talk about Riot Girl to the press, mm-hmm. um, and it became really insular, maybe unintentionally or maybe intentionally. I mean... It may have been intentional to kind of keep it small, but by doing that, I think there was, it sort of intentionally became not as welcoming as it could have been. I, uh, having known very little about Riot Girl other than the name and sort of broad strokes about it, like, 
what impact do you see them having outside of punk? Like, obviously, they had a huge impact on the yeah. scene, but outside of punk, go, yeah, go. I, I was just going to say that um, Slater Kinney came mm-hmm. um, after the election and did two nights at 930 Club, um, mm-hmm. and all proceeds went Planned Parenthood, yeah. Planned yeah. Parenthood. Um, so I think that it's still very much happening. It's still very much um, making a difference. Um and I think that's pretty cool that it's 2018 and it started in 1992. Yeah. Also, what do you mean there's something outside of punk? What does that mean? Someone may, and Lauren might be able to speak to this too, due to the nature of our day jobs. Um, I think that what I see too is that like the women who are students, um, whether they're like undergrad, mostly it's undergrad that that we see. I'm really encouraged because I will see often, like, I kind of take the pulse of the world by seeing what stickers students have on their laptops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep. Although it kind of threw me off during the election because no MAGA stickers anywhere, <laughs> no, right? Nope. Until the day of the election, I saw a kid with a MAGA hat and I was like, fuck. But was it more <laughs> ironically, like, you One. can't always tell. Yeah. And you kicked him in the Probably not. On our, on our campus, it's... Probably not. Our campus, it, yeah. It could, it could, very could well go be either way, yeah. but probably yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. But I'll see women, and they'll have stickers that are, say, like, a woman's place is in the House and the Senate, or women just want fundamental rights, or they'll have Planned Parenthood stickers on their computers. And so they may not have... They might not know who Kathy Hanna is or know about Riot Girl, but... I do but think we that can teach them. It, we can teach yeah. them. And also, I think that it's like, because they, because of the stuff that Riot Girl did, that put it out into the world. And um, maybe um, they, maybe they found out because they had a punk teacher somewhere up until before they met us or had a cool older aunt. A cool yes. older aunt. All, it's always the cool older aunt. Always. I've started teaching my niece about, you know, Riot Girl, so. Yeah. See? <laughs> She's go. nine. She's not so into it yet. She will be. Star she Wars. She will, yeah. she'll, be. she'll be there. Yeah. Star so, Wars inclusive? We can, Incl- I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah, it's not Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Sorry. <laughs> I should have <laughs> Which I don't really, some Star. people don't classify that as Star Wars, let's be fair. New Star Wars. As a Star Wars, this is off topic, but as a Star Wars fan, I would like accept the new Star Wars into the canon. Okay, they're making let's, one like every six months. Let's like, ha- let's let's have a future conversation. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but no, not just a conversation. Like different conversation. But I accept it into now the now canon. That we're Are there any uh, <laughs> final thoughts that you want to share? And also, do you have any like Riot Girl reading or yes. listening that you want to? So definitely, definitely, Girls to the Front. Um, is a fantastic history. Um, <clears throat> Dance of Days um, talks about um, Riot Girl in the context of positive force. Um, and I seriously don't know what that is. You can borrow that. Tina's copy, but there's like chili yeah. on the front. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants some chili, you can lick it. Go to your yeah. local library. <laughs> yes, your local library should have that. Um, Bratmobile, um, shout out to Bratmobile. Those ladies are fantastic musicians and people. Um, obviously, Bikini Kill, if you Google like Bikini Kill Fugazi 1992 or go to YouTube and look for that, um, you'll see their set 
from that show that I slept through because I was feeling sorry for myself. Um, <laughs> you needed a nap. Listen, we all got to nap. I needed, I needed like a nap for like. Do you know how many important month. moments of our history I, I slept like, through because I needed yeah, a nap? I slept through a lot of shit. I, yeah. Like, this should be your um, catharsis this now. Is like, like, you're yeah, done. I don't have to worry about it. You're done beating yourself up um, over this. And also, I want to say, Allison Wolf is in a band now, and I'm sad that I don't know the name of it. I could probably look it up on Facebook really quickly. Um, and that band is fantastic. She lives in L.A. now, um, and it's got a lot of really cool stuff going on in it, um, and so you should listen to them. Um, I don't know. Party Line? No, Party Line. Hearts? No. Kathleen Hanna. Sex Saints. Yeah, mm. Sex Saints. Sorry, I got really excited there. Sex Saints. <laughs> Sex That's her band in L.A., um, although Party Line and Cold Cold Hearts are also awesome. Um, part, party Line was like dance punk in the best way possible. Um, Slant Six mm-hmm. is OG, very legendary. Um, and yeah, so that's who I would say to listen to. I'm going to throw in uh, The Gossip because oh, uh, yes. Beth was in town this weekend at 930 Club, so... Think I should check her out and the gossip out because they were super rad. Yeah, for for people who for whom this is all totally new information, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the best entry point you feel like is well, Bikini Kill is obviously yeah. Yeah, and there's a documentary about Kathleen. Yeah, that's very watchable. Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's fascinating too because she's she's talking about Riot Girl, but she's also talking about women's health issues. she has Lyme's disease and or Lyme disease. I said it wrong. Um, and it talks about her performing and under the under um, health conditions, and it's really really amazing. And I would like to note a couple things. One, if you're looking for the first song to get into, again, as I said earlier in this podcast, I would recommend Rebel Girl by Bikini Kale. It's like very like easy to get into if it's not necessarily you're not sure where to start or what song you might like um and it definitely also just is really fun to sing along to in the shower my boyfriend would wish I would stop singing (laughs) it in the shower um and um I also would recommend trying to see Kathleen Hanna is also still in a band and trying to see her in concert I saw her live last year and I went with my boyfriend and my friend Jen's um and it was fucking unbelievable and like it changed my whole life. So they're definitely still as awesome in concert as they always were. And if you're debating it, like oftentimes the tickets are not super expensive and like worth your money. Right. Um, and I would definitely also recommend like if you want to go to a punk rock karaoke concert and go and sing any of the bands that we just mentioned in this podcast mm-hmm. because I think that they are underappreciated in punk and that people don't pick their songs as much when they're going to sing a punk song. I went to punk rock karaoke a few months ago and half of the songs were Blink-182. No! no. Which, like, listen, listen, I'm not here to, like, hate on people who like Blink-182. Uh-uh. I got suspended I'm from I'm here school. to do it. <laughs> Tina's here. I got suspended from school in 8th grade because I printed out the lyrics to Blink-182's seminal song, I Want a Fucking Dog in the Ass. Whoa! And showed it to my friend Kayla. All right. Because we were 12 and we thought that was really funny. It I is funny. I'm not going to apologize to you for things I did when I was 12 years old, right. but I am going to admit to them. Also, so, I, like, I like that you're admitting that. That's yeah, listen, great. I can own up to it, but I'm not going to apologize for it. I was 12. Um, La Tigre is another band mm-hmm. I've had in. Yeah. Um, and, like, I think 
if the like shouty stuff is um not if that's not your thing um Bradmobile is definitely kind of like poppier the tigre is super dancey and super fun mm-hmm. um Peaches? Peaches? Yeah. Oh peaches God. is amazing. Oh, I know peaches. I, I, yeah. I, I, I That's peaches the first band you've summer. said today that I've recognized. <laughs> and she wore a giant vagina hat. Yeah. And it was the most she I, also, peaches, I saw Peaches do a one woman Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> and it was the most amazing thing ever. She right. sang all of the parts. Yep. Amazing. It right. was, that one's a, it was yeah. amazing. She's she is a, is, I don't, I can't, I Also, if you're like, have I heard Peaches, who is Peaches? She opened the full frontal with Samantha B. White House, not the White House Correspondence Center last year. Oh. And she mm-hmm. killed it. It was awesome. amazing. Love it. So I think we're wrapping up with, usually going on, we're going to pick our cause of the week. or Yeah, we're a cause about. of the week or a woman of the week. Anybody have Whatever you got. Lauren, you want to kick it off? Sure. I'm going to talk about Frances McDormand. Yes. Yes. Take the mic. The Oscars and her uh, best actress win. First of all, can we talk about her bitchin' haircut? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. She's the coolest person on in that whole building, I feel like. Um, and her speech was inspiring, inclusive, empowering, delightful. Mm-hmm. I felt many feelings as I watched mm-hmm. it. I like that she put her Oscar on the ground. Yeah, and it, it was not shit about this award. It was not the focal point of yeah. of the speech. Like she made it very clear that the rest of the women, you know, were more important than the award. Um, so two things: inclusion writer was brilliant, and the second thing was when she walked off stage and they were pulling, you know, they were following her with the camera. She steadied herself like, on the, the side of the table, and it was just, I think, a really profound moment. Like, she can get up there, and she can kick ass, and she can be amazing, but she still has had that vulnerability. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. And, and I think that that was mm-hmm. fucking awesome. And I've yeah, thought of, it's, it's now Thursday, and I've thought about that every since day. Sunday. Yeah, since Sunday. I've thought about how fucking cool she is. I loved her in Fargo, but she'll always be um, also William's mom. And uh, almost famous for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that's who she is. For me. Well, and also I love that. I love that um, often throughout history the uh, best actress category um, have been nominated for films that are not considered in the best. <coughs> yep. Best uh, picture. I, yep. Best picture. That's the word. Um, <laughs> I'm here to help. But like women's like movies that have women's roles central enough to have a best actress typically have not been considered best picture material. And this year there was a a greater overlap. Yeah. And I just I hope that yeah. continues. I Tanya was mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Female, two female leads. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, my, so my, uh, uh, woman of the week, um, is actually, I'm taking from a children's book that I've read. I work with children, so this is sort of my life, but there's a really 
wonderful book called Brave Girl, Clara and the Shirtwake Makers Strike of 1909. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and it's a story that I did not know about until I read this book to a bunch of children. But it's about a young girl, um, a an immigrant to New York City, um, who basically started a uh, strike in 1909 in New York City um, and was beaten and uh like led this strike eventually led to a lot of changes in the labor practices uh and just the idea that um like when i search for books about women and books about girls i there's so much more options for kids books about women and girls than mm-hmm. there were even 5 years ago and i just i love that this was an option that i had so i think i have Two things I want to highlight <laughs> because in true fashion I can't pick one. And we've um, had wine. And we've had wine, so why pick? Um, the first is I don't know if anybody else watches The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but I do. Do you? We no. all know okay. you do. <laughs> we all know you do. You are the token fine. Bachelor watcher. Yeah, it's fine. Your... I'll take it. I'm fine with it. Um, I also, you know, just own it. No one's judging you. It's fine. You go. Um, so uh, this week, Becca Kufrin. Everybody saw that insane finale, or at least probably heard about it, in that she was the winner, technically, of The Bachelor, but The Bachelor himself broke up with her a month and a half into the engagement and went back running to the runner-up to get together with her. Hell Which, no. Yeah. And, and the this, breakup happened on camera. On it, the breakup happened oh. on camera, which is a first. Wait, so they Bachelor them. Nation is in tatters right now. They follow, <laughs> we're losing. I'm sorry. They follow them after the show ends? Yeah, they oh. follow them after the show. They okay. follow everybody all the time. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm still following Raven Gates from like Nick's season on Twitter? Question mark. I don't know. Why? She's fine. What season is that? It's like two seasons ago. (laughs) You have to be more specific. (laughs) These men all have the same names. I don't know who you're talking about. It's two seasons ago, and she like was on Bachelor in Paradise and like whatever. But like I still follow her on Instagram. They just remain relevant in your pop culture like. So what? So you want to champion the? So I what I want to mention is the girl. No, the girl who got dumped was named Bachelorette this week. And something that is really surprising to me was that she has photos on her Instagram, if you scroll back to November 2016, December 2016. Who is going oh, back to November of 2016? I thought this was a no-judgment <laughs> <laughs> It just seems like so long ago. It's such a commitment. Listen, my job is to keep track of pop culture and who's, that's true, that's true. who is on if my I'm, I'm sorry that I got aggressive. November so, 2016, that's not what I'm thinking about. Yeah, so she, oh. I went back to November 2016, she has posts about losing the election and being, she posted photos of her with like stuff about Clinton winning in the 90s and her being like, I wish this was me today. And she also kept a photo of her saying... It was a sign that said basically, like, keep your politics out of my, like, uterus. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I usually, every contestant has, like, scrubbed their social media of anything that isn't just, like, super boring. Uh, Um, Bikinis and... uh, Yeah, just, like, bikinis and, like, funny and, like, jewelry and, like, makeup Makeup and brunch and, like... Their their nephews and nieces and like mm-hmm. people their families, mm-hmm. which is like fine. 
fine. Like, none of these are bad things in your life, and they all make up parts of a whole human being. But Becca K did not do any of those things. She left those photos up. And I would like to give some feminist props to Becca K. All right, Becca. That is right. not, you know, okay. listen, everything is a small step in the right direction. And to have Bachelor Nation go and see this woman who they were, like, admirable of the way that she reacted to being dumped on fucking national television. All right. Um, and then to go see that she is pro-choice, I think that is pretty dope. Um, so that's my first person that I would like to give some snaps to this week, who might not get a lot of snaps on other feminist podcasts, we but you know what? We gave her snaps. We gave her snaps. We gave her lots of snaps. snaps for her. Snaps And the one. other thing that I want to give <clears throat> snaps to is um, just Twitter in general. Okay. And the way that they handled International Women's Day when Mike Pence said that he was empowering oh. women every single day. Oh. The drag is on he, Twitter. Is he, he apparently is. is. is but only when his wife's in the room. Because only otherwise he won't otherwise, like, talk no. to he women be, or be around mother. Yeah, he's empowering he mother. mother. He as, yeah, only mother. when mother's in the room. As someone yeah. who is from the state of Indiana and has, when he was still technically my governor, someone who has called his office to tell him about my period. <laughs> Yes, I snapped to Katie. Yes, and not me personally, but the thousands of women who decided that this was really our best way of showing him what a dick he was being about women's health. By telling us about our vaginas. Yeah, so if you you don't know, this came from, uh, in Indiana, when he was governor, he um, signed a law that said that um, uh, any... um, after a certain point, if um, a fetus is aborted or miscarried, then the woman has to uh, pay for funeral services. Whoa. Um, but it didn't. It, the law you did not. Heard this? The law. It, so it, it got. It got. It got. It eventually got struck down. Yeah. But before it did, it did. No. It didn't make a distinction between. Um, an abortion and which is why there are yeah. two separate words. Yeah, right? if there was, <laughs> right. But also, even if there were two separate words, like, nobody should be penalized for their basic reproductive health decisions, like regardless. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah. actually, but especially for, but especially for, 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 the the for losing a child when you don't mean to, which can be a little bit Super dramatic. dramatic. Yeah, and then you have to pay. Yeah. What's what so, what it means? So, uh, snaps to the anonymous woman who started the Periods for Pence campaign. <laughs> snaps always where, to her. Always to her. We, um, uh, many thousands of women from Indiana sent uh, in calls and postcards about and our tampons. periods and tampons <laughs> asking like, okay, like I just had a really heavy flow. I'm worried that, but I just had some unprotected sex. I'm really worried that maybe there was, there was a, uh, uh, fertilized embryo, fertilized embryo that Can went down the toilet. Can you check that out for me? Do I, is just saying a prayer over the toilet enough? Or, oh, or and, wow. um, oh the state house eventually had to change some of their phone numbers. I think. Great. Uh-huh. Uh, you'll have to fact, way fact to go check. Indiana. But I can confirm they did. We're proud of you, Indiana. Yeah. Go way to go, Indiana. So as some, I don't know how this tangent started, but it ends with "fuck Mike Pence." Yeah, evergreen statement. Yeah, maybe not like no, actually fuck Mike Pence, but fuck Mike Pence and like the metaphor. Do you, metaphor. How many kids does he have? 
One. He's had sex once. Yeah. <laughs> one with time. mother. One time with mother. <laughs> That's it. It was their wedding night. Anything else would be sin. I have one shout out is to the women in Spain who are protesting right now for International Women's Day. They're protesting for equal pay and labor stuff. So they're the ones who got their shit together today. So good job, Spain. Good job, Spanish women. Um, And then, too, I'm a lover of the show The Voice, and they have their first trans woman who auditioned Hmm. this time. So someone talking about their trans experience. So she is awesome. And happy International Women's Day to her and all trans women out there. Yeah. Woo! Great. Um, I have one quick shout out to the women of China who I found out were being censored when doing the Me Too hashtag. And that is why they started the Rice Bunny hashtag. Emoji Bunny, Emoji Rice, or Emoji Rice, Emoji Bunny, in, in that order. Um, to get around censorship and to share their story. And wow. So Rice Bunny emoji is me too. Yeah, so Rice Bunny Great to know. in China in the emojis you know equals no, me too. That's amazing. That's yeah, so and cool. it's, it's it totally, it is, it is super badass way of getting around government censorship and showing solidarity with women as like a, an adorable way like it could have easily been skull fire like, <laughs> that's probably what I would have I would have been like middle finger emoji and then like skull fire middle emoji eggplant yeah yeah so anyways shout out to them and shout out to NPR for alerting me to that story by interviewing women in Asian countries about what was going on. Way to be. Dope. Thanks, NPR, for your international ones on journalism. Actually, I think this was BBC News Hour. Oh, wait. Well, that makes even more sense. Now? Yeah. Shout out to BBC BBC News Hour. Just edit this whole thing out. (laughs) (laughs) BBC. Okay. Okay, so I have two. One is, shout out to the New York Times. Um, They've been doing some dumb stuff lately, but one of the things that they announced today is um, they are doing a project where they are publishing obituaries about women. Um, It goes back to 18-something, 1850-something, who were overlooked because what they... uh, And and I can say this is, I guess, a true, true story because when I looked at... The Washington Post homepage today, all the obituaries that were on the front that they had, like, highlighted were all dudes. But they're going back because women don't get mentioned as much. So they're um, telling stories of women um, sort of um, post-mortem, I guess. Wait, like, are, how, you, like, are you saying that women die? I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> Like Ida B. Wells, yeah. her marriage announcement was in the New York Times, but she never got an obituary. Yeah, come on yeah. now. It's crazy. Come on now. So New York Times is attempting to rectify that by publishing these stories, which is pretty awesome. Good job, um, New York Times. Good job, New York Snaps Times. to you. And then my final shout out is to um, everyone's favorite porn star, Stormy Daniels. I'm going to buy all of your Thanks, films. Thanks, Storm. Who would have thought potentially that the person who's going to bring down the whole regime okay, I is a porn star? A lot of people guessed. Basically, yeah. everyone saw that coming. 
coming. But when I was leaving work, I heard um, the tail end of a story where basically up until this moment, they had like um, 45, because I refuse to say his name, um, had not recognized, like they hadn't sort of acknowledged this. Um, and at a press conference, it was finally acknowledged that he is involved in this whole situation. Um, Great. So shout out to Stormy and shout out to figuring out that not signing a non-disclosure agreement is the way to bring down bad people in the patriarchy. Hell yeah. And the patriarchy. Shout out to all the women leading the resistance, leading the revolution. Keep at it. And a special shout out, thank you, to Tina's husband, who did <laughs> fancy audio for us. <laughs> um, so hope this audio was dope and you all were able to hear all of it. Um, thank you all so much. Bye! Bye! Bye. <laughs>